Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. On the program today, we have our broadcast partner standing by Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Itamar Marcus from PowWatch.org, Dr. Rob Congdon on understanding and studying the Bible correctly. Context is king. And Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series today as we continue to study in the book of Daniel. Rick, we've got a lot to cover, so let's get started with our first, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have the man that we talk to when we want to find out about what is going on in the world on a geopolitical sense, and that's Ken Timmerman. He is an author of many books. He's an analyst, comes on our program regularly. Ken, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, Ken, let's get right at it because there's a lot to get to today. And the first thing I want to do is last week we talked about the potential American response to those three servicemen that were killed in Jordan, and we saw what some in the world are calling a clear-cut assassination Can you talk a little bit about what happened, what America did, and why they did it? Well, the United States took out the leader of Kitab Hezbollah, one of the Iranian-backed militias in Iraq, the leader who was responsible for their operations in Syria. And apparently it was a very clean drone strike. He was the only person killed from what I have seen so far in the news reports. The Iraqis are calling it an assassination, but uh, gee, this is not the first time the U.S. has used drones to target militia leaders, to target terrorists. Remember, President Trump took out Qasem Soleimani uh, in Baghdad as well in January of 2020. And I happen to think both of these strikes were very good things to have done. They sent very clear messages to both the Iranians and to their supporters. But in Iraq itself, this has led to a great deal of anti-American sentiment. There's been talk of storming the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, perhaps targeting American leaders in Iraq, whether the ambassador or military leaders or others. And I suspect you will also find in the coming days an effort to, in the parliament, in the Iraqi parliament, to get the prime minister to call for the withdrawal of all U.S. troops from Iraq. So this is an action that will have consequences and maybe not all the consequences that the U.S. government had wanted to see. Well, I have two follow-up questions there for you, Ken. I'm going to ask you a little bit about the makeup of the Iraqi government and what is taking place in Iraq, because I know that is something that you, a particular area of expertise for you. But before I do that, one of the ways that you can hopefully ensure that there's no more attacks on American servicemen is by making those that perpetrated those attacks pay clear consequences. Did America do enough to send that message? Uh, No. And uh, I I happen to agree with uh, Representative Mike Waltz, who was on Fox News on on Friday, I think it was, saying that, uh, uh, you know, we have to go after Iranian assets, not just their proxies. If we want the Iranians who are pulling the strings, who are behind all of these attacks on U.S. troops across the Middle East, as well as the attacks on shipping in the Red Sea, if we want them to get the message that they have to stop, we need to make them pay a price. Killing a militia leader who is in Iraq, who is an Iraqi, is not enough. They have always been willing in Tehran to fight America to the blood of the last Iraqi, but they're not willing to fight us with the blood of the last IRGC commander. So we need to go after the commanders. I think that is the right thing to do. I thought it was the right thing to do with Soleimani, and I think it's the right thing to do now. 
But as you said before, this strike, you do believe it was a good strike. And the faction that he was a part of was an Iran-allied armed faction, but inside of Iraq. Can you just tell us, uh, as a general educational purpose for our listeners, you have these factions, these Iran-allied factions in Iraq. You've got still a U.S., somewhat of a U.S. presence. And then you have the Iraqi government. Can you just tell us what is the situation on the ground? Who's in control in Iraq? Well, this is a Iran is in control. That's the short answer. But this is a complicated situation. It's really still the inheritance from the Obama administration, the initial fight against ISIS. Remember, in 2014, when ISIS swept across Iraq, uh, there was nobody to oppose them. They went across the uh, Nineveh plain in the north and across Christian territories. They were threatening Kurdistan uh, when finally the Kurdish government stood up and said, please come and help us. And the U.S. gave them some support to hold the line. In those intervening years before President Trump came in and got rid of ISIS in a matter of six months, the Obama administration sponsored these militias on the ground, these Shiite militias on the ground that were backed by Iran, trained by Iran, armed and equipped by Iran to fight the Sunni ISIS militias. They basically fought them to a standstill. They did not regain territory. Remember the Battle of Mosul, which I went and and I saw the results of that uh, a couple of years ago, absolutely devastating. That did not begin until January of 2017 when Donald Trump took office in his first term. Uh, So these armed groups are still in Iraq. They still have weapons. They have militiamen, thousands and thousands of them. They have rockets. And they have been incorporated into the Iraqi defense ministry. Uh, I've met some of these leaders, some of these militia leaders. I met them in Bartella a couple of years ago. They are Iranian agents. There's no doubt about it. But now they are operating as parts of the Iraqi military. So when the U.S. hits one of these militia leaders, the Iraqis can turn around and say, hey, you just violated your security agreement with us because they are part of our military. It's a very curious situation. It is not a healthy situation. But what it shows, Rick, to get back to your original question, is Iraq is not in control of its own government or its own territory. Iran is. As always, Ken, I know you know that situation so well, and this is certainly a confusing situation, and allowing you to walk us through that uh, is very helpful. Well, let's move away from the Middle East there, and let's go to Russia. There was a fascinating interview. Former Fox talk show host Tucker Carlson had an interview with Vladimir Putin. Can you tell us what we learned from this interview? Yes, a two-hour, 10-minute interview, Rick, with Vladimir Putin. And, you know, he's been, Tucker has been criticized by all kinds of people on the left. They're calling him a a far-right journalist, a far-right commentator. Look, it's pathetic to see the way the media, who has refused to do their job over the past two years and get Putin on the record, to get interviews with Putin so we know what Putin thinks, Tucker is the first one to actually go to Moscow, sit down with Vladimir Putin, ask him his side of events of the war in Ukraine and other things, and listen to him and then broadcast that. I happen to think that's a tremendous public service. It is a disservice that the mainstream media, the formerly mainstream media, has done to us that we today do not know what Vladimir Putin wants in Ukraine. I mean, it's pathetic. It's not as if Putin has been hiding this. He said quite openly to to Tucker what he wanted, and he laid out the historical basis of the conflict. He also laid out where he thought it could have ended in just weeks at the very beginning when they were in negotiations between Russia and and Ukraine in Istanbul, and they actually had a signed agreement, uh, a signed draft agreement, 
And then lo and behold, the then British Prime Minister Boris Johnson comes along and says, no, 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 you can't do that. We're going to give you, Ukraine, all the weapons you want. You got to fight Russia for us. So I think these are important things to get out there in the public. We know so little about Putin's rationale. It's important to understand the way he thinks so the next administration can finally put an end to this war. Let's move on a little bit and talk about Ukraine. We are uh, somewhat at a crossroad here. Ukraine this week was in the news when Zelensky replaced the army leader after almost two years of this war with Russia. And then here on the home front, there are many in Washington who are looking to give another $60 billion to Ukraine to continue to fight this war. And there are certainly many of those that are opposed to that kind of spending in Ukraine. Could you tell us what is the uh, situation in Ukraine right now, and especially as it opposed to how much longer this war will continue there in Russia? Well, the leader that uh, Zelensky replaced, Zaluzny, uh, was very popular with the troops. He was somebody who was known to care about the troops. He would go to the front lines. He would try not to put Ukrainian troops too much into harm's way without giving them the weapons that they needed and the support they needed. And he was replaced by the army commander, a guy named Sirsky, who is whose nickname is the Butcher, who uh, it's believed will be far more aggressive towards the Russians. He will throw Ukrainian troops into battles that they won't necessarily be able to win. Uh, it appears that this is a shift in Ukrainian tactics that was brought about by the recent trip to Kiev by Victoria Nuland, who is uh, Biden's brain when it comes to Ukraine and Russia. She's the deputy secretary of state. She's the one who's been calling the shots really since 2014 and the Maidan revolution, or as Putin would call it, the coup d'etat that uh, brought about uh, an anti-Russian pro-NATO government into Ukraine. And then, of course, Rick, you mentioned the $60 billion. I'm not sure that $60 billion is going to get approved. They're trying to do a clean bill uh, for funding Israel and Ukraine. But even among Republicans in the Senate, Rick, there's a lot of skepticism over throwing more money into Ukraine. People are be really beginning to wonder whether we are being led by the nose by the party of war, the uni party of war, and whether there's not some form of negotiated settlement out there. Well, my final question to you, and we only have a minute here left, Ken, is the administration that has uh, been assigned to tackle this situation as we are looking at all these things taking place around the world is somewhat in question now. Uh, President Biden did an interview where certainly seemed to be slipping a little bit. And as we look at this situation, Ken, what do you think of the leadership we have at home right now and their ability to deal with these world issues? That impromptu press conference that Biden gave on Thursday night when he was responding to the special counsel's exoneration of him for violating the holding of classified documents in his home uh, was pathetic. It was immediately uh, evident that Biden is not up to the task. He is not mentally present. And Rick, now there's a great deal of talk about invoking the 25th Amendment, which essentially is the vice president and the cabinet getting together and declaring that the president is not competent to to hold office. That would mean a President Kamala Harris, something the Democrat Party does not want. But we may be facing that before the November elections. Well, that certainly would be news. And that is certainly something to keep an eye on. Well, Ken, as always, we appreciate you walking us through this very complicated subject around the world. For those of you who would like to know more about Ken, read his newsletter, look at his books, what he's done, go to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Rick. God bless.
We are continuing to focus on the nations of Bible prophecy, our understanding of those events around the world and how they relate to the Bible. We've got to take a break and we'll come back. We'll talk to David Dolan with our Middle East News Update right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Top U.S. and Israeli officials remain divided after a week of intense ceasefire negotiations aimed at pausing the Gaza war. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu calls Hamas's response to a ceasefire proposal delusional and says fighting will continue until Hamas is rooted out. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is planning more talks. Brother Isaac with Global Catalytic Ministries says the war is shaking secular foundations in Israel. It's turning the hearts of the Jewish people to God, not necessarily to Yeshua yet, but to God. The majority of the people that were attacked on October 7th were from kibbutzes, which are very secular, many of them even atheist, communistic mindset. And a lot of them started praying the Psalms, and they started crying out to God for the first time in their lives. And for many people in India, the idea of following just one God, Jesus, is a whole new concept, and they need God's Word to ground them. Regan Miller with Mission India shares about a young man named Ragid who grew up with doubts about his family's religion. But the more he dug into it over the years, he just wasn't convinced. And as an adult, he decided to kind of dig deeper into his family's religion. It was a big deal when he rediscovered a scripture-based book that one of our church planters left with his family a long time ago. He ended up following up with the church planter and asking if they could chat more. When he read the book of Matthew, he was just captivated. Pray for believers like Regid and consider walking alongside Mission India. They share God's Word and surround people with Christian community through children's Bible clubs, literacy programs, and church planter training. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener-supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. And together, the Great Commission happens. Look for links at missionnews.org. That's missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, this is the portion of our program where we look at news coming out of the Middle East in general, but Israel in particular. To do that, we have with us our good friend, journalist Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for being with us today. Glad to be with you, Rick. Dave, it's been 126 days since those terrible events that took place on October 7th. Of course, we know the war with Hamas, between Hamas and Israel that followed. Can you give us an update on what is taking place in Israel right now? Well, Rick, once again this week, the main action was in the north of Israel. Hezbollah striking every day. In fact, Thursday they launched over eight rounds of attacks, including a heavy barrage Thursday evening of over 30 rockets, many of them hitting Kiryat Shmona, the evacuated northern city and other areas. Several soldiers, IDF soldiers, were wounded in the strikes. They included anti-tank missiles and Israel again responding into Lebanon. On Friday, the head of the Northern Command met with the community leaders in the north. He again promised that security would be restored, but he went even further. He said, we are still on the defensive, but we are preparing to go on the offensive against Hezbollah, indicating a larger campaign, a larger war up in the north lies ahead. 
This, of course, after Beirut earlier this week, the government in Beirut, which is divided between the Shiites, the Sunnis, and the Maronite Catholics, it said it was rejecting the U.S. proposal for a move of Hezbollah north of the Latani River for a reestablishment of a security zone in the south of the country, and basically said the diplomatic road to solve this is gone. So Israel's watching that closely. And also in the north, there were more Israeli strikes in Syria on Thursday and Friday. Uh, the Syrians said one was near Damascus. And there were more attacks on U.S. forces in Syria, two, in fact, uh, this week after the U.S. struck, of course, last weekend. Many of the uh, Iranian-supported proxy forces, and they were drone suicide strikes, they said, where they swarmed drones coming up against several U.S. positions, but they were successfully taken out. In Gaza, we had the announcement from the prime minister that IDF forces are going to go all the way south to the border with Egypt, to the town of Rafah in particular, near the border crossing into Egypt, because there are four uh, Hamas battalions, he said, still operating in that area. That's the only part of the Gaza Strip where Hamas still has significant uh, military force, apparently. And, of course, he said, we realize most of the refugees who come down from the north and center of Gaza are in that area. So he asked the IDF to prepare two plans, one for the execution of this campaign against Hamas, but also to evacuate the civilians in the area and relocate them. So we'll be watching that very closely. The UN has already condemned any Israeli action in the South, and the U.S. has expressed more concern over that, that after Anthony Blinken was in the region earlier in the week trying to get the hostage deal going forward, but it really looks dead at this point. Uh, Hamas was asking for uh, 10 of their prisoners to be released, Rick, for every one Israeli hostage that was going to be set free. And even President Biden called that a bit over the top. So uh, those talks at the moment don't look to be going uh, very far. Well, David, you mentioned Secretary Blinken there this week. He said in remarks that he felt like Israel was dehumanizing the Palestinians, which we're going to talk about a little bit with Itamar Marcus in the next segment. President Biden also in remarks this week saying that Israel is over the top in their response to Hamas there in Gaza. David, as we look at this situation, you have told us in the past that the most important supporter of Israel, in fact, the only one that they need to be supported by is the United States. But it seems like that support is wavering based on some of these comments. Can they still rely on the support of this administration? Well, it's a political year, um, national elections at the end of this year, as we all are reminded every moment, basically, for the past couple of years, a long election campaign. And we've all seen the reports that uh, President Biden is behind, especially in the state of Michigan, behind Donald Trump. And he only won it by about 150,000 votes last time. And that's about the number of Arab Muslims that live in uh, mostly the um, Dearborn area of Michigan. And he needs their support and they're expressing their opposition to his stand on Gaza. So he feels in turn that he needs to be bashing Israel a little bit stronger, I suppose, and has been doing more of that, been more and more critical but we still have the military campaign going on. The U.S. hasn't pushed for a full ceasefire yet and has backed Israel a couple times at the U.N. 
So uh, Biden's uh, walking a thin line there. And of course, Donald Trump is more or less an isolationist. He doesn't like the war in Ukraine. He doesn't like the fact that there's wars going on in the Middle East. He said, you know, Biden's been involved in bombing campaigns now for four months. You didn't see that under me. And I kept the peace, which, of course, is more or less true. And he also brought the Abraham Accord. So he has something to boast about. But it means that both candidates are not all that keen on seeing Israel roar to victory over Hamas. They say they are, but, you know, they're hesitant in their approach. And, of course, we also this week had this standalone funding bill for Israel. I think it was $14 billion, if my memory is correct. And that was voted down, again, by the Republicans mostly, who don't want to see foreign aid unless the southern border with America is fixed as well. So a lot of interlocking issues there, Rick, and Israel's just sort of strung out in the middle of all that and doing its best to, frankly, just to survive right now. Well, they certainly are. But their goals for the war have been pretty clear. Prime Minister Netanyahu has let us know that he doesn't believe that Israel can exist next to Hamas. And it's still uh, the main goal to get rid of Hamas there in Gaza, to get rid of that political military faction that was the one that caused October 7th. They don't believe they can coexist there. But they also want to get the hostages out The negotiations that are on the table range from, like you said, a a very imbalanced release of terrorist prisoners versus Israeli hostages in Gaza. You also look at the fact that there are many that are pushing for a Palestinian state or an irrevocable path to a Palestinian state. These things are not going to be palatable to Israel. And just putting your opinion hat on, they shouldn't be, should they? Well, Rick, asking for a Palestinian state now in the wake of the horrendous massacre uh, just over four months ago next to the Gaza Strip is really not just a slap in the face, but it's absurd to the Israelis. In other words, Hamas would be rewarded for this horrendous attack, this mass slaughter, by pushing the Palestinian state issue forward. Something, of course, that they don't want. They don't want a two-state solution. They want Israel's total destruction. And, you know, we have to just keep reminding people that Israel has right next to it a statelet. And again, they didn't control it. They did control some of the goods going in and out because they were, you know, they knew that uh, Iran was feeding weapons and materials into uh, Gaza and others were doing the same. So they had to keep an eye on it. But basically, it was totally self-governed. I just saw a story this week that was detailing how wonderful Gaza City itself had become. It was very modern, very good restaurants, good hotels, good walking promenade along the beach. You know, this idea that they're all crammed into refugee camps and stuff is just not true. But they can't live with the state right next to them that's got an openly declared policy of destroying them. What country would do that? You can't do that. And Ukraine's trying to survive after Putin said they're a fake country. They didn't exist as a separate country. Similar sort of view, but you don't see that in many parts of the world. And, of course, the Ukrainians are fighting back, and Israel has no choice but to, at the very least, neutralize Hamas, maybe not get rid of it entirely, but at least make it so that they don't have the power to do what they did again for at least many, many years. 
one final question or thought here that you could comment on. And you look at this situation with Hamas there in Gaza, they are controlled by Iran. And Iran is certainly not ready to negotiate a peace with Israel. And so, again, there is really no opportunity as long as Iran has that type of influence in Hamas and in that area there. There's no opportunity for peace, is there? It's a deeply held religious conviction that the Iranian leadership has, that the Hamas leadership has, Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, the Houthis in Yemen. They do believe what they say, that there cannot be a Jewish state in the Middle East. There cannot be a Jewish state that rules over Muslims and controls land that was once under full Muslim control. It's just impossible. Israel has to disappear. That's their bottom line. They're not going to change it. It's not based on world politics or anything like that. It's based on their view of Islam, and it's deeply held. So there we are. Israel just has to keep struggling to uh, survive as a Jewish state in a very hostile neighborhood. Dave Dolan, a journalist with over 30 years of experience reporting in Israel and also a student of Bible prophecy. Because of those things, you are perfect to come on our program to educate our listeners. As always, Dave, thank you so much for doing that. You're welcome, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now, but when we come back on Prophecy Today weekend, we're going to talk to Itamar Marcus of Palestinian Media Watch. Also, we've got Dr. Rob Congdon on Bible study and Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series. That's all right ahead, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Dot Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Pakistan's general election reaches its climax today as people go to the polls. On Wednesday, explosions near the offices of two candidates in the province of Balochistan killed more than two dozen. Greg Kelly with Unknown Nation says neither of the two main parties vying for power seem to have the majority. Please pray the new leaders will have compassion toward minority groups and that this time of transition will open the way for believers to share the gospel. Hostilities in southern Lebanon continue daily. They represent the biggest spike in tension since a 2006 war that pitted Hezbollah and Israel against each other for a month. Co-founder Camille Melki says Heart for Lebanon's Hope on Wheels program began as an outreach to Syrian refugee children living in tent settlements. Please ask the Lord to sustain Heart for Lebanon staff as they introduce kids to the hope of Christ and help them overcome emotional trauma. Learn more at missionnews.org, a service of One Way Ministries. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. We're going to continue the conversation on the Palestinians in Israel and what they're really asking and what they're getting from the United States. And the United States is putting that pressure on Israel. Rick, we've got Itamar Marcus of palwatch.org standing by. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have our good friend, Itamar Marcus, from Palestinian Media Watch. It's a website you can go to, palwatch.org, one that we go to all the time. It helps us to kind of keep straight what is coming out of the Palestinian media, not what the mainstream media wants you to hear, but what is actually coming out and what they are telling their people. Itamar, as always, thank you for joining us. It's always great to be with you. Well, Itamar, as we take a look at what's going on in the Middle East, we look at Secretary Blinken. They're over there right now, and there seems to be a large push for a Palestinian state. Now, you know, this is something that America's uh, official foreign policy is doing. 
But Itamar, you have an opinion piece in the Jerusalem Post, and you are calling this Blinken's mistake. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, Secretary Blinken uh, yesterday made an outrageous statement. He said that October 7th was the Palestinians dehumanized Israelis. And then he said, but that doesn't give Israelis the right to dehumanize Palestinians. Now, it's wrong in so many counts. So first of all, it's wrong because the Palestinians didn't dehumanize Israel on October 7th when they did the atrocities. Palestinian Authority has been dehumanizing Jews and Israelis for decades, literally almost since the beginning of the Palestinian Authority. Their, their top religious figure, a person named Mahmoud al-Habash, who is the, the advisor to Mahmoud Abbas, he said in 2023 that Jews are literally Satan. Jews left their humanity and they became Satan. It says, he said, they look to you like Satan can be in human form. So you've got the top religious figure in the PA saying that Jews are Satan in human form. And then in a speech before then, he said that Jews were humanoids, uh, people that Allah created in the form of humans, but were not quite human. So the this is dehumanization. Uh, literally, we're not human. And that's what led to October 7th. The dehumanization didn't start on October 7th. It's what created, and this is the Palestinian Authority, they dehumanized us for so many years that their people felt, what the heck, they're not humans. We can go and kill them. We can rape them, do what we want with them. They're not really humans. And of course, October 7th just exemplified what was what has been taking place, like like you said, over all these many years. And nothing has changed and it would seem to me, based on what took place on October 7th and those atrocities, we should be farther than ever from a Palestinian state. But, of course, now it is getting pushed. You know, now this is something that is official policy, and this is what they are saying they need to end this war. That doesn't make any sense, does it? You're absolutely right. A, a Palestinian state would have to be under complete, complete control of Israel. We could never allow a Palestinian state to have its own airports because they would be shipping in missiles and who knows, chemical warfare, uh, chemical weapons against Israel. These are people who, who preach genocide. The Palestinian Authority still is preaching genocide of Jews. Uh, they did it on October 17th. They did it two weeks after the October 7th atrocities. They they had the religious lessons in all the mosques talk about the extermination that Muslims have to fight and kill Jews. These are the people you're going to give a state to. Uh, you're going to give them a state in Gaza. So we're going to have to put a blockade to make sure they don't bring missiles in. Look, look what happened in Lebanon. Lebanon, we weren't able to blockade. And they have now 200,000 missiles, many of them precision missiles that can they can hit virtually any building in, in the country. And the Palestinian Authority's evil is equal to Hezbollah in, in the north. And the Palestinian Authority population supports Hamas even more than they do the PA. So you're talking about a Palestinian population that wants to fight Israel, wants to kill Israelis, wants to destroy Israel. You want to give them a state? If you care about Israel, as Blinken claims he does, as Biden claims he does, then you say, okay, let's have 10, 20 years of detoxification of Palestinian Authority ideology and people. And then we can talk about a Palestinian state, not today. Well, I'd like to talk first about their ideology, and then let me talk a little bit about their demands. But first on the ideology, as we take a look at this 
situation. We have talked on this program, and you have mentioned before, about the pay-to-slay program, the fact that there are those the Palestinian Authority is rewarding terrorists for attacking Jews, rewarding the families. If the person dies, there's a stipend given to that person's family. So it's essentially encouraging this, and that is only escalating right now, isn't it? Yes, the Palestinian Authority has announced that they're encouraging uh, that they're going to be starting already from January 1st to be paying thousands, thousands of terrorists who've been arrested uh, since uh, since October 7th. There have been about, I think, five or 6,000 terrorists arrested since, since then, uh, many of them from Gaza Strip, uh, many of them uh, in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. And the Palestinian authorities made announcements to them to make sure that they immediately organized so that they can come and get their salaries. So, uh, and and again, the only reason they're getting paid is because they're in jail. And the only reason they're in jail is because of terrorists. This is the Palestinian Authority that they want to give a state to. I'm going to take a look at the demands right now. We're talking about the fact that there's the national heartache of Israel right now is those 136 Israeli hostages still being held in Gaza. Of course, everybody in Israel, their heart goes out to that situation. But the Palestinian Authority is calling on them to release over 9,000 verified terrorist prisoners. And that's just for starters in order to get those hostages released, which is essentially a non-starter, isn't it? Yes, it's a non-starter for everyone in Israel, even uh, the most uh, left-wing members of the Knesset, just about. No no one is agreeing. That was the mistake we did in 2011 when we released 1,067, I believe, terrorists in exchange for one Israeli soldier who had been kidnapped. Uh, Now, those 1,067 terrorists formed the backbone and the leadership of Hamas. One of those people who Israel released, was a person named Yahya Sinwar. He's the one who Israel is trying to catch. He's the one who's making all the decisions now. He's the one who planned the October October 7th um, atrocities. So that was 1,000 terrorists. Now they want us to release 9,000 terrorists. Uh, So no one in Israel is going to agree to that. And hopefully they'll come down by 90% in their demands and we won't release heavy terrorists. But People who are minor terrorists. Uh, every terrorist is terrible, but at least there are some of them. There, there's one terrorist, Abdullah Baguti. He's sitting 67 life sentences, murdered 67 people. Uh, he's on the top of the of the Hamas list to be released. We can't release that person. He's going to be the next leader of Hamas if we release him. So this is the challenge that we have now. How can we get our 136 hostages home without... Uh, undermining our future by 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 creating the foundation for a renewed Hamas movement. Well, that certainly is a challenge. And Itamar, I appreciate you coming on this show because you are letting our listeners know what the details are behind the situation, things that we need to know to be informed and not just necessarily what the mainstream media is feeding us. We appreciate that. How can our listeners follow along with what you are doing there to inform people about what is taking place in the Palestinian media? Well, what everybody should do is go to our website, that's palwatch.org, and on the top of the page, you should sign up to get our our alerts, our daily bulletins, and you will know every day. Today, you would have read the op-ed that I wrote about uh, Blinken, and tomorrow you'll get other material. Um, So you should do it, and you'll be informed, and then you can send it on to your congressman and to your journalists who you know, and try to spread the word and, and, and improve Israel's position in the world. Absolutely. We encourage our listeners to do that. Itamar Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. 
Itamar Marcus. Great job. Powwatch.org is his website. We're going to switch directions here just a little bit now. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we like to do, what we were taught to do, was to study the Bible correctly. That's really helps us to cut out all the clutter, all the noise. So today, we thought we'd have our good friend, Dr. Rob Congdon, back to help us and uh, give us some keys for studying God's Word. Jimmy, we have Dr. Rob Congdon with us. Congdon Ministries International, classes for Bereans, Congdon Ministries International Television. He has all kinds of ministries, and but basically the main thrust of his ministry is to teach the Christian, the believer, to arm them with the tools to study the Bible, and of course, also to study Bible prophecy, which is certainly important to us. Dr. Condon, thank you so much for being with us. Well, it's always a joy to be with you, fellows, and to uh, be able to get and talk for your listeners and to to really give them additional tools for their own Bible study and growth, more importantly, with their walk with the Lord. That is certainly what it's all about. That's what we like to do, and that's why we like to partner with you, because that's what you like to do as well. What I'd like to focus on today is a free program, a free online program that you can go to at your website, classesforbereans.com. And right now you're featuring a series called Unlocking Your Bible Using the Literal Historical Grammatical Study Method. If you could, can you tell us about this new series that you're doing and why it's important for those students of the Bible, for us that want to be uh, Bereans, that want to be students of the Bible? Okay, well, briefly, I want to give just a quick little background as to how I even decided to do this. When I was at seminary, we were taught what a thing called the literal historical grammatical study method. I had no idea what that was, okay? <laughs> literal, well, I now understand it's to read the Bible like you'd read your newspaper. If it said cats and dogs, it's raining cats and dogs. You know it's not cats and dogs coming down. You know it's a very heavy rainfall. Uh, literal means the normal sense. And it's crucial that we take the entire scriptures the way the Lord wrote it and the way he intends us to understand it. And therefore, we need certain guidelines that keep us, if you will, within the truth that he is trying to teach us and not going off in our own ideas and our own thoughts or other men's philosophies. So the literal historical, that involves understanding the culture of the first readers. So when I'm working on Matthew right now and teaching that, for people who read Matthew, they should understand how those people understood when they first read Matthew and he had just written it. And the grammatical is that God invented grammar. Grammar is what really limits to what you really want to say. It, it limits you to what exactly God said because he created grammar. He has created a very sophisticated grammar, uh, very understandable, but sophisticated. So we can't go again off our own track and make a verse say what we want it to say. Well, when I was at seminary, I was taught all the tools needed to keep within the bounds of truly what God wrote. And then when I pastored a church, I taught this to our own people because they wanted to understand these skills. And obviously they didn't study Greek and they didn't have hours and hours of study everything. But I started teaching them how to use the reference books in their own library 
to really help me understand the way God wrote it and what God means. Well, we now are in an age where what used to take me to study a passage maybe 20 hours, I can do in about an hour and a half using my computer and the tools that are now mm. freely available on the on the computer. So I've decided to show what I taught those people so long ago now how to do it, but to do it on their computers and learn very quickly. And it's amazing. I have two young adult fellows in my adult Bible class on Sunday morning, and they're eating it up because they're really getting in depth to understand the scriptures. And I know I'm comfortable with it because they're following this method, and that keeps them to the true things that God wrote and not what they want it to say. And so this video series we produced on cmi-tv.net, which is the easy one to remember, is giving step-by-step, I'm showing you how to go to your computer or your smartphone, your tablet, whatever you have, and freely, it costs you nothing to use the programs, how to get all this information from, I'm guessing, 20, 30 reference books that I used to use. Well, that's fantastic. And before we let you go, we're going to get those practical tips. And again, you're going to let us know exactly how we can follow along with that program. But before we do, I was watching part one of this series that you did, and you you essentially went back to basics. And the the principles that you gave us, the hermeneutic that you gave us, the literal, historical, grammatical, that is so important when studying all of the Bible, but essentially also it's important when you're studying Bible prophecy. That's one-third of the Bible, and that is the only way that you are going to be able to make that practical and make it make sense is by doing uh, this method exactly like you talk about. But going back to part one, essentially the first thing you told us is uh, the authority of the Scripture. And we're looking at that, the inerrancy of the Bible and how we can be confident that the Scriptures are what they say they are. And of course, the authority of Scripture is under attack in the world today. Can you tell us why that is so important? Well, it is crucial because I believe with absolute certainty that the Bible that we hold in our hands totally correctly represents what God told the original authors, and actually God's the author. He wrote it through the Holy Spirit. But the the men who wrote the books of the Bible that we have in our hands, uh, what he told them they have recorded faithfully. And in my first session, I show why it's so crucial, because if if you're going to just make up your own religion, then you can write any book you want. But God has given us the Bible as our standard to compare everything with. All the truths of the world, well, he has the truth. Therefore, he's given us the standard that we study and learn how he thinks, how he acts. And I always say, you want to learn the mind of God. So it's crucial that what I'm spending my hours reading the Bible is with certainty what God actually instructed those perhaps 40 authors to write in our Bible. And so in our first series, I walked through how we went from those original 27 books of the New Testament, is what I focused on, but it's equally true of the Old Testament, how those original manuscripts, they don't exist anymore. They're gone. God has allowed them to disappear because people would be worshiping a manuscript instead of him. But then I walk through and show how down to our day, all the copies, all the translations into various languages, how God has seen to it that we have what he actually wrote. And we can stand with certainty that that's it. And obviously, through our lives, as we apply it, we see more and more God wrote it. God intends us to read it, 
and to study it in depth and to apply it in our lives. And it works because it is the truth for God is truth. And again, you've already talked about this, Dr. Congdon, but if you could just for those listeners, and it's either a refresher for those listeners that already understand this concept, but for those that maybe don't understand this concept, the the name of the course, Unlocking Your Bible Using the Literal Historical Grammatical Study Method. And this is, as you said before, it's plain English. And we have always, when we teach at prophecy conferences. We talk about Second Peter 1, 20 and 21, where it talks about there's no prophecy of private interpretation, meaning all scriptures work together. So you take the entire scripture in all of its context, and then, uh, of course, that goes along with the literal, grammatical, historical reading of Scripture, because otherwise you can make Scripture say whatever you want. You can make Scripture agree with any kind of theology that you want. Our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, always said that your eschatology, your theology, they they must work together. They determine each other. And so that is so important. That hermeneutic, that Bible study principle, that is so important in understanding what God wants to share with us in His Word, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And and I'm stressing that because we're in an age where more and more we're hearing that culture has to help us to understand how to make the, modern, the Bible mm. modern and how to apply culture. And we, we've seen this in more and more in all the movements that are going on around us. They're trying to say, well, the Bible supports it, and then they make their own statements. They don't show you how it does. But what we're doing is when we talk about the historical method, we're saying, and I stress this, how did the people who first read the book of Matthew, understand it in their day, in their culture, because that's who it was written to. Therefore, we have to study the historical cultural aspects of that day in order to properly understand how they wrote it down. And God's word certainly goes well beyond any year or millennia. But the principles that they're teaching there and the concepts are, are reflecting their their historical background. Uh, I'm reading, studying, and preparing a message on Matthew, and I'm pointing out that when Matthew talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't talking about something in our heart. He was talking about a literal, historical, earthly future thousand-year kingdom on earth ruled by Jesus Christ. Now that's where prophecy comes in, but because. We know that the people of Matthew's day, that's the only kingdom they understood when it came to the scriptures. They didn't know about a spiritual kingdom in their hearts. So they knew when when the Lord spoke about the kingdom in the book of Matthew, they immediately thought, this means this is on the earth. The Messiah, he's going to be the Mm. king. And sadly today, culture is trying to change the entire scriptures and what it really means. And also, sadly, there are Christians that are, are falling for this concept that, well, it wasn't a literal future kingdom. It's just this something vague in our heart, and there is no millennium, and there is no rapture. And so what happens is when they get away from the normal, literal interpretation of what they read, and they get away from recognizing the original cultural understanding of those passages, then their prophecy just how I say it, it goes down the drain. It can be anything they want, and that's what they're doing to it today. So again, because of the historical aspect and the literal aspect, we take a prophecy as we read it. 
Now, we may not fully know how to interpret it in the sense of some of the symbols there, although actually, if you study your Bible, every symbol given in the book of Revelation is explained somewhere in the scriptures. So we're we're always being penned in, if you will, to follow what God said, not what men are saying, not what the latest polls say that meaning should be or what the cultural method should be. We're sticking to what God intends it to be. You know, God, and I'm being humorous, he isn't stupid. He knows that almost 2,000 years after Matthew wrote, there are people going to be reading Matthew. He knew how to write it so we could understand it and apply it in our life today. And so it it is so crucial to know how to read a passage, and my term is be limited to God's way of writing. All literature has rules on how you interpret literature. So does the Bible. And that's what we're teaching people is how to follow those guide. Well, they're not guidelines. They're rules of grammar, of history, of literalness, and to truly understand the mind of God as he has it, and he wants us to understand it. And I, I say unlocking it because with the computer, Anybody can sit at home and now use these simple tools that we can show them through the videos very quickly. How, in fact, I even have joked that some of my students have said, yes, I'm starting to even speak some Greek words because the program even pronounces words for you. So it's exciting because we're, we're putting skills that I learned in seminary into the hands of the average person sitting in their own little study. It's exciting. Dr. Condon, I could not express the importance of, of this series and, and this type of teaching, and I, I'd like to call it getting back to the basics of Bible study, and the Bible study and Bible prophecy study synonymous there. And as we look at this scenario, I think it's a great refresher course for those that already understand these concepts and for those that don't understand these concepts. This is a great introduction to it. If you could, and you say there are these free tools to help us study scripture online, if you could give us a brief overview. I know there's a lot more to go into than what you could tell us right here. So when you're done there, if you could just let us know how we could find out more, that would be great. Okay, well, what what's exciting is there are many free Bible programs out there, and, and I, I get nothing from any of them in terms of paying or anything to recommend. But there is one that I find extremely helpful and simple to learn how to use, and it's called Blue Letter Bible. And going to the Blue Letter Bible, just search it on Google, search it, and you'll find it. You, you start out and you can put in a verse and just type in a verse, and up it gives you the whole chapter of that verse on your screen to read. And then you can see that they'll talk about tools, and you click, and next thing you know, it'll show you the actual English to Greek word showing, in other words, how was it translated from Greek to English? And then you say, well, okay, we want to understand how those first readers understood it. They would have heard it in Greek. So you click on the Greek on the number by the Greek word, and it gives you a complete definition of how it was understood then. Then the part that I really get excited about, and remember, I was an engineer for 20-some years before I was a Bible teacher. Uh, engineers hate grammar. Oh, but we've said one of the aspects of this system of studying the scriptures is to understand the grammar. And I, even right now, my hairs on my neck start rising. I don't do, I can't do grammar well. I are an engineer. 
But anyway, I click on it, and pretty soon it's teaching me how the grammar actually fits this verb or this noun, and it tells me why we should understand it as something speaking of the future or the past or even ongoing. It, it, it slowly, as you read passages and use these tools, you're starting to understand some of the things I learned in my first semester Greek. And that doesn't make us an expert, but this will open up the meaning far beyond uh, what a cursory reading of Scripture does. So all those tools are in front of you, and then you say, I wonder what other men say. Well, you click, and it gives you commentaries, hundreds of commentaries, and you can read what other men have learned. Uh, it takes you in depth in uh, the history of words. And, you know, God makes important Galatians. He stresses the difference between a plural and a singular word in the Bible and how important that is about Jesus Christ. So you need to understand some grammar. But I can tell you in my class on Sunday morning, they aren't shivering at grammar anymore. They're starting to eat it up saying, this gives me even greater meaning of what God has written for me. And so I, I just urge you to experiment and certainly urge you to come and watch our video series. We wish we could turn them out fast, but they take almost two weeks to prepare before we can put them up on the internet along with some of our other videos that you can see and follow. And I, I do it step by step, hands on, showing you the screens and how to do it. And I've been telling you, the class is really called classes for Bereans, but we're simplifying our internet. And now it's just cmi-tv.net. And that'll take you to everything we have, including unlocking the Bible study method of literal historical grammatical usage. Well, that's great. And I'll tell you, for our listeners, you can go to our website at prophecytoday.com. We will provide a link to this as well, or you can go directly to the site. Dr. Rob Congdon, as always, we appreciate your heart for teaching, your heart for helping others to study for themselves both Bible theology, Bible prophecy, all working together. We appreciate what you do, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. It's such a joy to talk to you and your listeners. May the Lord bless each of you, and get into the Word. Just think about it. You can get into the mind of our God. Dr. Rob Congdon, and Dr. Congdon has done a lot of classes with us, teaching pastors and men, lay people, those that want to study God's Word to understand how to teach it, and uh, just for your own pleasure, and he puts it in such a very simple, go to his website, you'll enjoy it. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series, as we continue God's game plan through the ages, and uh, we're in the book of Daniel, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, phenomenal information from Dr. Rob Congdon. You know, and when we think about, really, I mean, from Itamar Marcus, David Dolan, Ken Timmerman, as we go backwards, we look at each week, we have an understanding of covering these events, the things that we look at and talk about, it's because we have a good understanding of world events and what's taking place. We certainly do, Jimmy. These men and many of the broadcast partners that we use on our program, they have been involved with us in ministry at Prophecy Conferences on many of our documentaries. If you go to our bookstore, go to prophecytoday.com, you see on our bookstore we have several documentaries. Dr. Rob Congdon, he was on Rome Rising as we talk about the revived Roman Empire. Dr. Rob 
Congdon was on that video with us. Last week we had uh, Paul Blair, and he was in our documentary, Is the USA in Bible Prophecy? Of course, Ken Timmerman was on the latest video that we have done, the latest documentary entitled Destiny of America. So all these men have been with us as we look at current events and how they relate to God's prophetic word and how they are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We look at specific stories because we know from our study of Bible prophecy, these stories are lining up in just such a way that it seems like the events that are going to take place, that God says are going to take place in the future, could happen tomorrow. And that's, of course, what we want to share. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and you can find those DVDs that we talked about and we just really want to get them into the hands of people and uh, help you to become better students of the word of God. And that's what we do on this program. It's prophetic, but it's also practical. And we appreciate that. Speaking of the practical, the legacy series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung today, we have a very exciting study from the book of Daniel. And we look at God's plan through the ages Daniel introduces a major personality that will be the powerful leader on this earth during the seven-year period of time called the Tribulation. This takes place after the rapture of the church. That satanically energized personality is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will start the clock ticking actually on the seven-year Tribulation, according to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. This will all be a part of our study today, and we'll also look at the 70 weeks of Daniel that predicted the crucifixion of Jesus and the time that that event would happen. This is a very important study, and we're going to start where we stopped last time as we were looking at Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel's dream. Remember, Daniel had interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and the head of the Babylonian Empire, as it was laid out, the times of the Gentiles. Daniel's dream is very similar, but has different symbols. Last week, we looked at the first symbol, a winged lion that actually represented the Babylonian Empire, found there in Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. Today, we start as we look at the bear with three ribs in its mouth. And what that means, that's Daniel chapter 7, verse 5. And that's where we begin our study today. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. The bear is the Medo-Persian Empire. They defeat the Babylonian Empire, who had kept, uh, defeated the Syrian Empire, who defeated the Egyptian Empire. And so the three ribs, the three previous Gentile world powers, and that's this Medo-Persian Empire. Now notice the next one he sees here in his dream. And verse 6, And after this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given unto it. When we start putting things together, we know it's the Medo-Persian Empire. How do we know? Because that's over there in chapter 8. Didn't even touch the ground, this he-goat, with a horn between his eyes. And when he took on the ram, that horn was bursted up, and he had four horns on his forehead. The four wings making him swift, the four heads, the four parts of the Grecian Empire after the death of Alexander the Great, north, south, east, and west. 
You get over to chapter 11 of Daniel, you see the kings who come to power in the north and the south. And we'll get back to that in just a moment. But look here at the next beast, verse 7. And after this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns, ten horns. What in the world is that talking about? You don't have to ask me. Go to chapter 7, verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. That makes it the Roman Empire. Since we have the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, and now the Roman Empire. So he's making a statement in verse 23. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Okay. And so it's going to devour the whole earth. No, wait a minute. Hold it. Time of Jesus. Roman Empire only controlled, hello, the Mediterranean region. That's all it controlled. Never controlled the whole earth. The text says this empire at one time in its existence will control the whole earth. Look at the next verse, verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three of the kings. Well, that gives us some information, but keep reading. Verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints. Great words against the Most High. Chapter 13, book of Revelation. A very important passage of Scripture on the Antichrist in three verses. Verses 1, 3, verses 3, 5, and 6 says, And he will blaspheme God. Speak blasphemy against God. Look over here in chapter 11 just a moment. Chapter 11 of the book of Daniel. Chapter 11, and notice what it says in verse 36. And this willful king shall do according to his will. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And he shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. Blasphemy. You see, the Antichrist, we call him here the little horn in verse 8 of chapter 7. And out of these ten horns comes the little horn. That's saying that this personality, this mighty ruler in a period of time yet in the future, is going to come out of this group of Roman government that has been revived to control the entire earth. And his name is Little Horn in chapter 7. In chapter 9, he's the prince that shall come, verse 26. In chapter 11, verse 36, he's the willful king. Over in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus Christ refers to him as the false messiah. Paul talks about him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, as the wicked one, the son of perdition, the man of sin. In Revelation 13, 1, he's the beast out of the sea. And in 1 John chapter 2, he's referred to by the name we know him best as Antichrist. And so out of this revival of the Roman Empire comes the Antichrist. Is there a possibility that we could see at least the infrastructure for the revival of this Roman Empire? Well, the answer is yes. Now, again, I'm not dealing in all of these areas. I mean, these at least are four messages I could give and go for an hour and a half or two on them. But may I suggest that what we're seeing come to place now 
is at least the infrastructure of the revived Roman Empire, and I would call it the European Union. And so the infrastructure is in place. And the text is telling us out of this comes the Antichrist. Verse 24 of chapter 7 says he will take control over three of the ten and become powerful. The Antichrist coming on the scene. And so we see in chapter 2 the layout for the Gentile world powers. In chapter 7 we see now the leader in the last days for this revived Roman Empire coming into place. Go to chapter 9. Here's the next of the important prophetic passages in God's Word. Chapter 9 is a marvelous passage of Scripture. I almost say that about every piece of Scripture that I read, but chapter 9 is talking about Daniel, who is an amazing man before the Lord. Not one negative thing is ever said about Daniel. And God gives Daniel some very important information in chapter 9. It's the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's a plan for the Jewish people in a special place. Look at Daniel 9, 24. Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage, but it's key that you understand these things, these six things left there in verse 24 have to happen before the Lord sets up and establishes his kingdom. But it's talking about a 70-week period of time. It's 77s, better translated instead of 70 weeks. That's 490. And it's talking about years in the context. Please excuse me for taking a shortcut. But it's talking about a 490-year period of time. And in the context, it says, this plan is going to be given to your people upon thy people, and your holy city. And the holy city, Nehemiah eleven two, is the city of Jerusalem. So it's a special plan for a special people in a very special place. And thus we see in shape the plan that God has for the Jews and the Gentiles in a period of time. From the time that the command was given to go forth and rebuild the walls of the city and the streets of the city, that command given by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2, until the time the Messiah would be cut off. I'm taking a shortcut. I'm reading verses 25 and 26 in my mind. From that time until this time when Christ will be cut off, or the Messiah, it says, will be 69 of the 70 weeks. Will be 483 of the 490 years. Will be 173,880 days on the dot. That's why Jesus said... Luke, chapter 19, verse 40, when he stood there on the Mount of Olives looking across the Kidron Valley at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, he said as he wept uncontrollably, if you'd only read the book, Daniel 9, you'd have known I was to be here today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. Then he went later to be crucified, to be cut off. That's what the text says. Look right here. As we look at the scripture, verse 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah, Hamashiach, be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Notice, this is a great verse to use with your Jewish friend to try to bring him to Christ. Whoever the Messiah was from their scriptures, from their ancient prophets, The Messiah had to be here before the city was destroyed and the temple devastated. That happened in 70 AD. Tell me who your candidate for Messiah is. It's locked in. Messiah had to be here before 70 AD. 
Now, this is 483 of the 490 years, 69 of the 70 weeks, but that leaves one. Look at chapter 9, verse 27. Here's that tribulation period. Times of the Gentiles, parents of Antichrist, tribulation period, verse 7. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That one week is the seven-year period of time. The he here is the tyrant or the Antichrist with the 27 other names. I've given him another one, the tyrant. And a treaty is involved. Past history all the way to the rapture of the church. That's what this represents, the rapture. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds, we're out of here. And then a seven-year period of time after the rapture up until, let this represent, the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. A thousand-year period of time over here to the great white throne judgment and then eternity future. The rapture of the church and the seven-year period of time. This is the 70th week of Daniel. Chapter 9, verse 27 says there are two ingredients in this 70th week. In fact, what happens here in this 70th week, according to the prophecy, is two things happen and the seven years begin. What are they? A tyrant appears. And then the text says, and he confirms a covenant, a treaty, for how long? One week. Seven years. That's what he's talking about. The tyrant. Is the tyrant alive? That is a very important question that must be answered. If we are near to the time of the rapture, then the tyrant, the Antichrist, must be alive on this earth. The truth is that a personality on the earth which Satan will energize and give his seat of authority and his power has been alive in each of the past generations. Next week, we'll continue our study in Daniel, and we'll go more in-depth in our study of the Antichrist. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We'll take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will wrap it up when we take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Pakistan's general election reaches its climax today as people go to the polls. On Wednesday, explosions near the offices of two candidates in the province of Baluchistan killed more than two dozen. Greg Kelly with Unknown Nation says neither of the two main parties vying for power seem to have the majority. Please pray the new leaders will have compassion toward minority groups and that this time of transition will open the way for believers to share the gospel. Hostilities in southern Lebanon continue daily. They represent the biggest spike in tension since a 2006 war that pitted Hezbollah and Israel against each other for a month. Co-founder Camille Melki says Hard for Lebanon's Hope on Wheels program began as an outreach to Syrian refugee children living in tent settlements. Please ask the Lord to sustain Hard for Lebanon staff as they introduce kids to the hope of Christ and help them overcome emotional trauma. Learn more at missionnews.org, a service of One Way Ministries. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. 
This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, you know, I mentioned that Sometimes understanding God's word helps us to have blinders on us so that we are not distracted by what else is going on in the world. This program really, uh, I did say it was prophetic and practical. We're really looking at Bible prophecy and how it is very practical in our daily lives. Well, Jimmy, as we look at the stories, and of course, as you go through the news, there is a never-ending supply of stories, things that may be interesting for a variety of reasons, maybe economic, maybe just your curiosity, political, but we are specifically looking at stories that we know play into God's end-time plan. And one of the first things I asked Ken Timmerman about as we started talking with his news report when we talk about geopolitical affairs is we wanted to talk, I wanted to talk to him about what is going on in Iraq. We have talked on this program many times about Iraq, and you know we had the different wars that were taking place, and it seems like Iraq has been out of the news, at least a little bit lately, of course, Ken just gave us an update on what has taken place in Iraq. And Jimmy, as you and I both know, Iraq and the city of Babylon, the rebuilt city of Babylon, is going to play a huge role in the future during the seven-year tribulation period, isn't it? Yes, uh, and we focus on that many years. In fact, we've had Dr. Andy Woods on the program, and our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, he covered this. It was something, of, of a focal point of his because the city of Babylon has never been destroyed. There are two groups of people that are going to be as if they never were, according to Bible prophecy. Of course, the Edomites, or the descendants of Esau, which today are the Palestinians. That's a little book of Obadiah and Ezekiel. You know, when you look at the last chapters, the prophetic passages of Ezekiel, the uh, Edomites, or the descendants, are going to be as if they never were. And, of course, Babylon. And when we focus on Iraq and the rebuilding process and what is happening there and uh, how the role that it plays in the Middle East, you know, you've got Iran on one side. It's definitely a player in the Middle East program, if you will, if you had a, a, a program laid out and all the players that were there. Iraq will be a player in the future, and we focus on it because the city of Babylon has never been destroyed. Revelation chapter 18, Babylon, literal Babylon, will be destroyed, and they will be as if they never were. So when we look at these cities and uh, these countries, these states, these major players, yeah, that's one of the reasons why we do it, Rick. Of course, Jimmy, also talking with Ken Timmerman, we talk about Russia. Of course, Ezekiel 38. We see that Russia is going to play a role in the end times as they lead a coalition of Islamic nations to come against the nation of Israel. For the last two years, Russia has spent quite a bit of time in the news. We have talked to, to Dave Dolan about this as well, and he looked at Russia and, you know, with the Soviet Union, then Russia seemed to fade from importance. But of course, now it dominates the news and is 
becoming even into a better spot, more of uh, a a position to where it looks like they are getting ready to fulfill the prophecy that uh, Ezekiel 38 talks about and their influence in the Middle East. This is something that we follow every week, and that is one of the stories that we keep tabs on. I was fascinated by uh, watching the Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin. And, um, you know, I know that that's something as we sit here, we're watching players. Uh, I do think that uh, at this moment, Vladimir Putin would be Gog of Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38. But, you know, should the Lord tarry, he might go off the scene in the next leader that comes on. But we do know it will come out of the north and out of that area of north of the Black and Caspian Sea, which is modern-day Russia. So we do focus on that, and I do think that we are seeing the axis of evil, as we have talked about in the past, that's lining up to come against Israel. And that could be sooner than later, and that's why we study Bible prophecy. Jimmy, as we look at this whole situation, and I think we've talked about it, we don't want to have a newspaper reading of Bible prophecy. We don't want to look at what's taking place in the news and then say, okay, well, that must mean that this is, you know, correlating to what the Bible says. We do it the other way around. We look at what the Bible says, and then we look at what's going around in the world. And I think that's why we took the opportunity today, Jimmy, to talk to Dr. Rob Congdon. His heart is for teaching. And we took a look at the situation. We want to be Bereans. We want to be studiers of God's word. We want to know what the Bible has to say, and we want to read it for what God intended it to say to us in a literal, historical, grammatical way, not imposing or impressing our culture or whatever we want the Bible to say, but we get, and especially when it comes to prophecy, we take it for what it's worth. It says, like you just said, Babylon has not been destroyed. So when will Babylon be destroyed? We're looking at those situations. We're looking at those things. That is such an important part of our ministry is not only looking at those current events, but also knowing how to study the Bible. The Bible is the word of God, literally God breathed in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And we are commanded to read it, to study it, and to understand it through the use of good Bible study methods, Rick, and always with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to guide us. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually, uh, they can't discern it. So that's why we use God's word when we're studying, when we're looking at the things, when we're uh, understanding. And I did say at the end of Rob Congdon that context is king. And when you study it, it's really easy. It's not just for you and I, Rick, to understand Bible prophecy. Everybody can understand it. You just have to use the proper methods for studying Bible prophecy. Context is king, which means that the context often drives the meaning of a phrase. And to ignore context is to put ourselves at a tremendous disadvantage as we're trying to figure out this path forward and running the race that is set before us. Rick, thank you so much today. You did the hard work and, uh, um, you know, following the events of the world. Uh, thank you for doing that. And also, we carry this on because God has given us an opportunity 
to look at both the prophetic and the practical aspect of God's Word. Thanks, Rick. I look forward to being with you again next week. I look forward to it as well, Jimmy. Yes, folks, everything that we've seen today, we can't help but say that the rapture could happen at any moment. And until it does, let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.